0: Hey friends, and welcome to episode 99 of the Above Board Podcast. We're making some changes to our show next year. But before we do that, I want to revisit all the good that's happened over the course of this past year in 2023. We've had some amazing guests to the show, Kristen Holmes of Whoop, all the way to keynote speaker and performance coach, Alan Stein Jr. And something I've learned uh, from all these conversations and in preparation, in fact, for this episode, is that a lot of them have to do with this journey of progress that we're all on. I think as humans, we tend to overwhelm ourselves with perfectionism and doing more and being more and wanting more. That's all great. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for having a growth mindset, as you know, but many of our conversations over the past year can all tie back into the power of consistency, having an open mind to learn from our failures, and focusing on the good of the progress that we've made in our life. Now, In today's episode, you're going to hear from four of my favorite podcasts from 2023, and I'm going to start with the world-famous EOS implementer and author of Get a Grip, Mr. Mike Payton. He joined me on episode 71 of our show to talk about failing forward, which is a philosophy I think everyone should subscribe to, and and he also talks about how perfection is actually the Achilles heel of progress, and most importantly, he discusses how to simplify things instead of Overcomplicating life with every little detail. At about minute 15 or so of our show, we transition to Matt and I's conversation about mastering the basics. This goes back to episode 95. So just a few episodes ago. And not only are we learning to do the basic things really well, but we want to also learn how to pass these lessons on to our kids. And I think what's really fun about this conversation uh, that Matt and I have is that it ties in perfectly to the next segment of our episode where we hear from Mr. Allen Stein Jr. He joined me on episode 78 of the podcast. He's an author, he's a keynote speaker. He was even the performance coach to some of the NBA's biggest stars like Kobe Bryant. He shares his lessons on the value in mastering the basics by focusing on process over the outcome. He has this thing where he he talks about detaching from the outcomes and focusing on the process. And he also has his next play mentality and the 24-hour rule that helps keep him grounded. And finally, of course, what is this podcast without our very own The Rich B? From solo episodes to joint conversations, Rich dropped a plethora of knowledge. But one of my favorites uh, was episode 85, and it was called Being Masterful at Mastery. He shares the value of the work behind the scenes, the stuff that no one sees, the journey, the growth, the failure, And how all of that is oftentimes greater than the actual end result. So all four of these conversations, I think, are a match made in heaven on the value of progress, of learning, uh, of failure for, for personal growth. And what I love most about it is that not only is it different perspectives, but also the lesson here for me is that we're all struggling with these things. Like there's no such thing as a person who's got all their crap together. We're just learning at different paces and different places. So without further ado, thanks for hanging with us for all 99 episodes. And here's Mr. Mike Payton up first talking to us about how to stop overcomplicating
1: things in our life. And so it's like teaching a kid how to play t-ball. You don't teach a six-year-old how to hit a split-fingered fastball on a 3-2 count with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. That's too complicated. You just teach them where to put their feet in the batter's box, how to hold the bat, how to swing properly and make contact with the ball. Start there and build from there is the way we teach simplification and process and when we're working with our clients as EOS implementers
0: you have to know how well that that analogy lands for me i I coached my dot da- my daughter's six she was five at the time I coached her t ball team and in and uh what was really interesting about that experience was well this is a sidebar conversation but the intensity of the parents already at five and six couldn't believe that but having to i i played baseball growing up and now I'm trying to remember how how would I have wanted to learn this and then and break this down to really like three to four steps yeah. of what to do when when hitting a baseball, for example. So that analogy lands really well. And I think as as a as a fellow overcomplicator, um, <laughs> and and I think another issue that I have that I, you know, it's something I'm constantly trying to work on is um this level of like perfectionism that I have, like this yeah. expectation of perfectionism. It can almost disable you to the point where you can't even make a decision on oh hey, we're going to write our core process for how we onboard a you know a prospect to a client there's so many things i don't even know where to to begin, and if it's not perfect, it's not worth doing at all. yeah um, you talk about this in the book, which I, I like the analogy. I actually wrote it down on my whiteboard um, the hundred 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 rule yeah um, you, would you mind sharing that a little not, bit
1: not, not at all um, so when when most, so, so I'll start the story by something funny. Gino said to me, right after Process was published, actually right after it was sent to the printer, final version. I did an event for the local EO chapter here in the Twin Cities, and I keynoted on the subject of Process. So deeply steeped entrepreneurship, early stage entrepreneurs in this EO chapter, because the EO Accelerator members were there, and it was actually a rally to help very early stage. Uh, entrepreneurs get going. And so it was a huge room, very full, very fun. And I gave a 75 minute keynote on the subject of process. And I called Gino afterwards to say, because he wanted to know how it went. And I said, oh, it we killed it. Everybody loved it, got a lot of positive feedback, really good. He goes, so let me get this straight, Peyton. You spoke for 75 minutes to a room full of early stage entrepreneurs about process and they liked it? So, so even Gito is a little circumspect when we talk about this stuff, but the secret here is that every one of us has this view of what a process disciplined organization looks like in our heads, like it's only for corporations and only for government agencies. And so, you know, if your view of process is, It says I'm supposed to take my lunch break at 1115 and I work at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles and there's a line out the door. But because I'm supposed to take my lunch at 1115, I'm going to take my freaking lunch and piss off everybody in the room. If that's your attitude about process, you're never going to work to strengthen your own process component. And Mm -hmm. so what we try to do is say that's not process. That's an abomination of process. If if your view of process is a company that's got to document 100% of the steps in 100% of the processes to get 100% compliance, you're never going to do this work in an entrepreneurial company. What we teach is let's do 20% of the work and get 80% of the value from process work. And so that's our whole approach, not just a process, that's Gino's approach to implementing EOS. One of the most common pieces of constructive feedback we get about the process early on when we're working with a new client is, gosh, it's pretty simple. I mean, don't you think you left out a lot of stuff? And what I say back is, yep, thank you very much. And that's what Gino says too, You know that the key to this stuff working in an entrepreneurial company is we're not trying to over-engineer anything. We're trying to make things a little bit better and help you build from there. Progress, perfection is the enemy of progress. Winston Churchill quote, perfection is the enemy of progress. Doesn't need to be perfect, we do need to move forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have uh, in the book, you have a good Steve Jobs quote too, it's simple can be harder than complex. You have to work really hard to get your thinking clean to make it
1: simple. That's right, that's right.
0: Hearing a lot of what you're saying, and especially someone that's a perfectionist you know and feeling like sometimes you're disabled to even make a decision cuz cuz you want it to be per- a perfect step in the right direction it's like just take the stride like just take the step even if it's an imperfect step it's still better than doing nothing and i think with the process stuff what i'm hearing is hey if we if we write out the the five main components of uh, i'll keep using the you know the you know onboarding a new client like if we write out the five main components of what that makes up What I also like about it is, you said you can go back in later and you can add more stuff. That's okay to do that if you find that, hey, this is really a missing piece and it's maybe a subset of step three. We can go back in and add that. But also, there's some variability or trust of, let's say, the you know, there's a salesperson running that process, you're giving them the creative space to. Make a decision to fill in the blank on how the situation may need to go because it could go one of fifty ways right
1: That's right. What you don't want is to negate the need for people to figure stuff out between the margins. You know mm-hmm. you don't want a bunch of robots running around and not empowered to use their best judgment and so it's a fine line and and you know most of my clients, when they're doing their process work sort of pendulum into the right approach for them. Every organization is different. Every person is different. And so, you know, again, perfectionism. And one thing I want to say about perfectionism, I, I would say if you ask me to give you a percentage of the people who sit around my conference room table as entrepreneurial leadership team members that are hardwired as perfectionists, it's 90 percent Right, who are not alone. We hate making mistakes. That's what gives us the energy and the vigor and the discipline and the work ethic to get things right. That's why we crush our competition because we're working harder and more worried about screwing things up than the average person. Mm-hmm. It's also what brings us a lot of unhealthy emotion and inability to delegate, shame when we screw something up, a fear of pointing out other people's failures because. When we fail, we feel awful, and so we don't want to make other people feel awful. So, I so I feel like your listeners and viewers need to hear that perfectionism is normal, but mm-hmm. it's a and and can be very helpful, but it is a double edged sword, and you need to be careful about that and find your own balance.
0: We we actually just did a podcast this past week about temporary defeat versus um, versus like absolute failure, like permanent failure, and and why especially as entrepreneurs and business owners, but frankly, anybody listening to this, why it's so important to be able to accept and be okay with failure as part of the process too. If
1: you don't fail regularly, you are not stepping outside your comfort zone often enough and you don't belong in an entrepreneurial company. That's, yeah. I mean, I hate to speak in absolutisms, but, but I have to on that one. It is... It is you are never going to grow as a human if you only put yourself in position to succeed a hundred percent of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we talk a lot. I think we I think we paraphrase this from from you all uh, about failing forward. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things that that you know, within um, the level ten meetings and our quarterly rocks meetings. So again, within the framework of of what's presented in traction and EOS is we set these quarterly rocks both for at the company level and then personal quarterly rocks and there was you know just just part of the whole learning experience of this i can remember on the first year we had probably two to three quarters of these of these meetings right peyton so and and we come in and we're, we're going over it with each other and check we did it check we did it and we completed all these all these rocks and I remember seeing in the notes of the book, it said you know you should be like eighty percent ish completion of your rocks, and we kind of had this epiphany after the first year. We're like, oh my gosh, we're not we're not making our rocks hard enough. Like we're, we're we're checking these all off. We're not making them hard enough. And again, that's part of the failure. We we're almost afraid to fail, so we're like, you know, creating this yeah. built in you know, uh default of like, hey, let's make these easy enough so we hit them. And that that was a mistake that we learned.
1: Yeah. And and you know, part of that is the business you're in, John. You're 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 taking care of people's money and and you know, failure is not an option when you're a trusted advisor like you guys are. And and so, you know, a lot of that is healthy. But there's a little bit of that. That if you can just wrangle with it, you know, this is personal development, right? When you True. the first thing you got to do is name this thing that's holding you back, and then you got to figure out how you're going to break through that ceiling. And so you're just on that journey and keep keep moving forward. You're going to learn that over time. My clients who complete 100% of their rocks are almost always a little more disappointed than when they busted their tail and 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 they're able to celebrate 80%. You know, we didn't sign up for enough. And that is, again, that's why I love being surrounded by entrepreneurs because we're never going to be satisfied and we're always pushing one another outside our comfort zones. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't sign up for a journey on a boring merry-go-round where I'm just going up and down on the little pony, trying to grab a brass ring. I signed up to climb mountains. Yeah. And when you climb mountains, you fall down mountains. And so let's go do that together, man.
0: Half the battle is is showing up on time, being willing to put yourself in these situations. Like, for example, as a kid, this is why the karate thing is so new for me still, because I didn't do that as a kid. I played team sports. And I just always thought that's what you should do. And and I, you know, enrolling uh my kids into soccer or baseball or softball or what have you. I gotta say, this is one of the first times, think about both my children. This is one of the first times. Where my wife and I sit and watch my son in karate, and we're like, This feels so right. It's one of the first, like, like for example, wow. we did soccer one time, and it was like, mm-hmm. This is just, I mean, these <laughs> kids, are, they're not learning the value of team sports yet. I mean, they're way, he's not, he just turned four. But for, for karate, felt so right for a lot of different reasons. But hearing the sensei in between practices or different things that they're doing, just sit down and like teach. He teaches these very simple life lessons at this age. Again, they are only four and that's kind of the group that they're in. They're called the little dragons and he's teaching these very simple life lessons about listening to your parents or even like eating your vegetables. I mean, he's, he's talking to these kids about this and we're doing, they're doing exercises and they're getting this energy out and they're learning to listen and stay focused and disciplined. I just, I think it's really great. And I think the lesson that you shared Funny enough you shared that lesson on like a leadership call with our team yesterday that a black belt is is a white belt who never quit. Yeah. So I told I told Sensei Wan this and and I I shared that with him just cuz I thought he would appreciate knowing. I always like that. Like if someone says like hey, you had an effect on this yeah. conversation or like I I'd, I'd like to hear that. It feels good to hear positive stuff. And and then he shared another nugget with me, you ready? Right. So the nugget that he shared with me is the persistence it's about kind of having this mindset and he was comparing it to white belt and and black belt but it was having the persistence of a black belt but the learning mindset of a white belt Mm. so I guess this idea that like because when you're a black belt you've theoretically like mastered it right and that took a lot of discipline to get to that level of mastery yeah back to that 10,000 hour conversation but then still being humble enough to, to then have the learning perspective of a white belt knowing that you don't you still don't know everything you're still always yeah, learning i
2: i love that and I, I forgot even to mention that on the onset of it because it was one of my most favorite things i don't think i said this yet this is turning into like we should have you know sensei on here this is turning into just a big advertisement for him and his service he, he's an amazing guy he has an amazing team uh his his wife it, um, is just incredible there as well and, and the whole team he surrounded himself i have nothing but positive things to say but um, you know, it kind of goes back to what you just mentioned a second ago, is that a black belt is nothing more, uh, or, or the um, what was it? The, the quote is, "A black belt is a master of the basics," right? So I, that's kind of what I was getting back to at the beginning of this. Like Bryce couldn't beat anybody up or do all these crazy things, but he's mastered how to stand still without having, you know, the typical kids who are just like wiggle worms, and how to be able to drop down and give pushups and to know. When you forgot your to bring your your weapon of the, of the week, you know you're doing pushups, and that's not mm-hmm. going to happen again. And, and and bringing it back to soccer, John was it was really interesting to see once Bryce uh, was doing was doing karate on the regular, and then went out to do go do a team sport. I saw a completely different child. Um, you know, when you we were talking about soccer a second ago, he did a you know a, a kind of a fall soccer league, and no one's listening to the coach. And you know, listen, Bryce is just a normal <clears throat> nine, eight, nine, ten-year-old boy at the time, following in line with what his buddies are doing. But I noticed that there was one kid who was standing still when the coach was like speaking and looking in the coach's eyes and doing these things. And I was like, man, he got that from from you know all of these other lessons he's learning um, um, through through the you know through these other things that he's doing, specifically karate. And I felt like that was kind of bringing it full full circle to him. So, and I think we can apply a lot of these things. To the financial side of the picture, John, so you know if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, all right, enough about life lessons with our kids how, how does this apply to our finances? I think a lot of the same aspects apply. Maybe it's not being an expert in in finances, but maybe it's hiring an expert and i would I would kind of use the same analogy that uh you know we're CFps, we're certified financial planners. If this was year one of being a certified financial planner. I think it's sort of the same thing as, as being a black belt is that uh, that means you've just kind of mastered the basics, right? You, you know what an IRA is, you know, what a stock is, you know, and, you know, kind of an advanced level of that, but it's not till you've been in the industry and doing this for, you know, for me, 20 years, John, for you, 17, 15, whatever the number, uh, whatever the number <laughs> long is, long time. it's, it's on there. But, you know, it's not till you've seen some things and you've gotten your, you, you've kind of your sleeves have been pulled up and you've, you've gotten your hands dirty in, in areas and, and dealt with death and you've dealt with divorces and we've dealt with stock markets going up and down and having geopolitical turmoil and all these crazy things. It's one thing to read about them in a book, but it's another thing to actually go through them. And so I think a lot of what we do is sort of related back to finance and how we can be better to our clients.
0: Yeah, if we're sticking with that analogy though, if we're the if we're the black belts in in the financial planning space because we're CFPs, said it, uh then but but we continue to have that learning curve mindset of what are what are new things that we can be doing. But I, I will I will share at this stage of life, in, in our career specifically, like what we do with personal finances, it sometimes can be even though there's like that, I guess that level of mastery, like it's easy to take some of these things for granted. And I guess that this is what's fun about tying it back to the kids though, is we're preparing, the idea is we're preparing them for discipline and hardship and knowing how to focus on the basics so that when they get into life, let's talk about maybe their money habits, for example, which is a huge part of life. And like, no one trains you on that. Like you don't, you don't get to take money courses in high school. Maybe you do these days, certainly should be able to at this point. But like, I didn't take my first personal finance course until I was like in my second year in college, which is the reason I switched my major to finance, actually. But, but the point is, you know, think about just the discipline of being able to master your own money habits. Like that's something you want to see for your kids, whether you're good at that now or you're not good at that, regardless of how of, of where your level of mastery is on your personal money habits. We all know that we want to see that be- better for our kids yeah right we we want to see them be able to do that and i'll just give a really good example national savings average is i think less than 5% or right at around 5% right now the national saving average Which means for every dollar you earn as a family you're saving 5 cents on the dollar that's you and i both know that's not good enough in the realm of of long-term planning and it's really great to see clients being able to save 20 30% of what they save and i think that's i know it's like a very simple but granular example of that. Like you, you had talked about IRAs and that type of stuff. All of that's great. But like just going back to the basics, the simple mastery of like your own emotions of not, oh gosh, I want to buy this. I want to, the impulsive, like, I want to go spend this money and saying, no, 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 I need to pay myself first. I need to save this dollar. I mean, those are, I don't know about how, how you're talking money with your yeah, kids, but I, that's I, something I we're going through. You're
2: right on the right track. And it, uh, like a, a, a a saying comes to mind is, you know, we, we have a lot of clients that are millionaires. I mean, we, we deal in the financial planning business. We have a lot that are, that are aspiring to be that way too. It's not just one-sided with our practice, but millionaires don't happen overnight. They happen over time, right? It's, it's none of our clients. And I mean, we have close to 300 or so clients. We can look on, no one's hit the lottery. No one has, well, you know, really, you know, bet something huge and, and paid off all of them have the same very common thread for the most part that they they and, and none of them are were were you know making a million dollars a year in their profession for the most part they all just had good financial discipline right it's it's saving why do you have to save well because you need a rainy day fund so you don't tap into credit cards and start paying massive amounts of interest it it is you know making sure that you look at your budget and you are saving a little bit for tomorrow, spending a little bit today, because you got to enjoy the ride too, which is I'm I'm a very big proponent of. But all of it has, I mean, we have school teachers, we have all types of professionals that have hit that seven digit number. And it's really just through hard work and through financial discipline. And it's through not giving up, it's through persevering, it's through hiring an expert so that they're optimizing their finances in the right spot and, and that they're doing their job really well and they allow someone to do their job, meaning us, is, is manage the financial component of it. There's a common theme between all of these people. And they're all just amazing to be around. You know, one of our sayings in our company is we don't have marginally satisfied clients, right? We, we only want to deal with people who are pleasant to be around, who have these really good financial mindsets or those that want to be that way. And, and they'll allow us to, to guide them through through that path. Um, and so I think a lot of these life lessons can be applied to a 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 year old who maybe is behind or maybe is just trying to optimize things and, or who is trying to find what is the best way to, to get to that point so that they can retire.
0: I, I love where you talked about you know finding that intersection of, of your strength zone. And I've heard you, I've actually heard you talk about this on, on Ed Milet's podcast a year ago. Um, but so you find that strength zone of yours. And then I've also kind of listened to you talk about this idea of detaching from the outcomes. So now that you're working in the, in your, we, we call it at our office, we call it your zone of genius. Oh, so it's, it. it's working in the the work that not only gives you passion and energy, but that you, you excel at and you're good at. And when you can find those two things that intersect, it's, you're, you're going to be able to really, you know, hopefully have joy in the work that you do. But I, I do think detaching from outcomes was a really important concept I've heard you talk about before, because a lot of times, and I'll translate it to my world, it's like, well, if we, you know... I think I do a lot of great work in the financial planning space, right? Uh, we we work with clients. We're building, you know, we're just celebrating our five-year anniversary. I've been in the industry for 15 years. I mean, this is my joy. I love doing this, as does my business partner. But let's say, you know, you you don't land the big client or you have this big prospect that you you, you come up to the plate, you swing and you miss. The outcome of the win, I guess, or the high of like, great, we got this, you know, new client in. Can you talk a little bit about that and then maybe share if you would, for our listeners, I've heard this story and I love it, but maybe share the unseen hours, the Kobe Bryant story.
3: Sure. Well, once again, a lot to unpack there, man. Yeah. Sorry, man. Big loaded
0: questions here.
3: No, not at all. I absolutely love this. You're, you're so much fun to, to talk with. One of my favorite parts about the work that I do. I mean, I love the ability to share things with audiences that will help their lives. It'll help their personal lives, their professional lives. It'll help their individual lives. It'll help their organizational lives. And I I really and truly get an intoxicating high when I'm either on a podcast or I'm on stage uh, and I'm sharing something and I I can almost feel the light bulb go off and, and, and folks feel like, you know, this is something that I can uh, really use. The other part about the work that I absolutely love is it holds me accountable to living my life to the same core values that I'm preaching to everyone else. And, you know, all of these things that I share with audiences, as I said before, I'm not coming from a place of mastery. These are still things that trip me up. And yeah, I talked about it on the Ed Milet show a year ago, and I'm talking about it now with you, the ability to detach from outcomes. And I'll say the same thing that I said before. I'm proud of the progress that I've made in that area. I do a much better job now of detaching from outcomes than I did one, two, five, ten years ago. So I love the direction I'm going, but I'm not anywhere close to the peak of the mountain yet. I still get tripped up by that. I still get bummed out when I have my sights set on a certain goal or a certain speaking engagement and it doesn't quite work out. But what I'm very proud of is I've I've developed kind of a self-soothing coping mechanism to be able to deal with that. And and I said something before and I'll say it again because it's really important. I've conditioned myself and I've trained myself to not let myself go too high or too low. Now, I embrace my feelings and my emotions and I want to be able to celebrate the wins, but I also wanna give myself the space and the permission to be a little bummed out during some of the losses. So this is not about being numb and just towing a line. You know, I still feel the highs and I feel the lows. I just don't let them go to extreme levels. And, you know, I don't know when this will actually air, but at the time of this recording, one week ago, in one of the first hours of my workday, I received a DM from someone on LinkedIn from a Fortune 50 brand that asked if I was available to speak at one of their leadership retreats. So when you're in my world, that is about as high of a high as you're going to get professionally speaking. I mean, I won't mention the brand, but it's a, a brand that everybody knows and uses. And I was on an absolute high. Less than 30 minutes later, I got a notification from my agent that an event that I was really hoping to speak at at the end of July decided to go in another direction and hire another speaker. So I go from an incredible high to less than 30 minutes later, feeling really, really bummed out. And, you know, now that's an extreme example. Every day is not like that. But, you know, when I kind of take a step back and I, I, I pull the lens back, you know, most weeks and most months in my vocation, have those ebbs and flows and you know for the 29 minutes that i was excited about the uh the fortune you know 50 brand reaching out you know i i didn't do anything you know reckless in order to celebrate but boy did i puff my chest out a little bit and feel good but then along the same lines when i i got the news that i wasn't going to speak at the event that i had hoped you know i gave myself the space to be a little bummed out to to be a little disappointed honestly, I was a little discouraged. And, you know, those are usually not feelings that I have a lot of, but when I do have them, I don't suppress them. I don't resist them. I don't ignore them. Mm-hmm. I allow myself to feel how I'm going to feel. And, and it was funny. Cause I, I even said that day, you know, and the rest of the day, to be honest, I was a little, I was a little bummed out. It knocked me off my game a little bit, but I've also developed something I call the 24 hour rule which is I never allow myself to stay too high or too low for more than 24 hours. So I basically said, you know what, for the rest of the day, if I'm a little grouchy, I'm a little irritable, I'm a little dejected, I'm a little disappointed, I'm a little discouraged. That's okay. That's a human emotion and there's nothing wrong with feeling that. But I also know that I'll sleep well tonight. And when I wake up tomorrow, you know, I'll move on to the next play, which is something I preach all of the time and was able to do that. And, And to be honest, Haven't thought about that event since just bringing it up right now during this conversation. So that's an example of you know I'm I'm proud of the work that I've made the self work to allow myself to feel those roller coaster of emotions without them lingering, without them having a a lasting effect. And I also have to acknowledge, you know that that there are a lot of things in this world that are binary. You know, and in order to have up, you have to have down. In order to have on, you have to have off. Uh, In order to have you know, the joy of someone wanting me to speak on their stage, you have to deal with the disappointment of someone else not wanting you to speak on their stage. Those things have to coexist, just like in sport. That is what makes sport so riveting. At the end of every single game, someone is deemed the winner and someone is deemed the loser. And, you know, what makes winning so joyous, especially winning the big one, the championship, is the fact that it's, you know, juxtaposed with the juxtaposition of losing and Mm -hmm. that's at risk. And, and to me, that's what can keep things exciting. And uh, yeah, so this is all stuff that I'm constantly working on. And back to your original question, which I did not forget, what helps with this mindset is the detaching of, uh, from outcomes. It's learning to love the process. It's, it's, it's not tying your self-worth and your self-confidence and your self-belief to certain outcomes because if how you feel about yourself ebbs and flows with all of these external metrics that i just mentioned that's going to be a roller coaster of a life and i don't want to be on that roller coaster i realize that the external results are going to ebb and flow but that doesn't mean my happiness needs to it doesn't mean my sense of fulfillment and certainly not my sense of self-worth because you know, had I landed that gig that I was hoping to, that doesn't make me any better than I currently am right now. It just means sure. in that instance, the dominoes fell my way. And I have to remember that not getting that gig or sometimes, you know, the, the losses, you know, you can get three or four or five of them in a row. Mm-hmm. and That's when you really test yourself of I still believe in myself. I still believe in my message and what I do. I've hit a little bit of a streak here but like a shooter in a bad slump, I'm going to get out of it. And I, I don't let my my positivity or my optimism waver just because I don't get a few of the external results that I had hoped for or had preferred. So learning to detach your value from your performance or from the external results for me has been an absolute game
1: changer.
0: You're, you're, what I love about this conversation is that I I know you to be such a a rules-based process-oriented person as I've, as I've listened to you and I've consumed your information over the years. And I, what I was going to ask, and I'm glad you said this, is like, how do you actually, like getting a little more tactical, how do you actually detach from some of those outcomes? And I love the 24-hour rule. I think that's important for someone, to, someone like myself to hear that. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners, I've learned... And I'm, I'm curious of your opinion of this, but I've learned that I feel the losses way more than I feel the wins. And that's a little bit frustrating when I, when I even say that out loud, because we've had some monumental things happen at our company. I've had some amazing personal life, you know, developments over the years and those things happen and I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Like moving on next thing, you know, I, and, and it's almost, I'm able to stay very even keel and steady on the wins, but boy, do the losses sure hurt. You know, when, when you have like three or four or five losses in a row, it and I, I don't know, I I do think I'm speaking for the audience a little bit too. I think a lot of people sit in their feelings more when they have that loss versus when they have the win. Um, and I'm curious your opinion of that. But I do, I love the whole detach from, from outcomes. And the 24-hour rule gets super tactical for me because it helps me kind of realize like uh, we're all a work in progress. And I love hearing you kind of even share like, I'm just applying, even in my book, the stuff I write, I'm just applying the stuff I'm learning and trying to, I'm writing for myself to re-listen and hear and, and, and put emphasis on. Any, any thoughts that comes up for you on that as, I, as we talk about detaching from outcomes?
3: Oh, so many. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm loving this. I, I, I've got a mouthful for you again. Just just for clarity, there's nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong with having preferences. Like it would have been my preference To land that gig at the end of july that is if if someone all of a sudden said alan you are in charge of the universe from this day forward i would have made sure that i was on that stage to speak there's nothing wrong with that i just want to make sure that i'm clear that it's detaching your self-worth and your confidence and your belief in yourself from those outcomes that's to me what's what's been the 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 game changer and Mm -hmm. um as far as the 24-hour rule i give myself that much room but to be quite honest with you, it usually ends up just being the two or three hour rule. Usually two or three hours later, I've already conditioned myself to move to the next play. I've, I've found something else to be able to focus on or to pursue. Um, I chalk that up as a loss. It wasn't my preference. Um, and, and I move on. But I still give myself the space that if I need a full 24 hours to lick my wounds, there's nothing wrong with that. But it rarely takes that. That long, and you know the 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 ability to have the resilience to move on when preferences aren't met or you don't get the outcomes that you wanted. That's that's the game I'm playing, and I I take a lot of pride in that. And you know, going back to kind of the 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 speaking business that I'm in, an ideal year for me would be to do 60 paid speaking engagements in a year. I mean, this is my full time vocation, and that's the right amount of volume for me that I feel like I'm staying appropriately full. But I'm also home enough to be a present father with my my children. I have some speaking colleagues that would rather do 30 or 40 a year. I've got some speaking colleagues that do 110, 120 a year. Everybody's got to find what's right for them. And I haven't run the exact math on it. But I would say if I had to guess, in a year that I land 60 speaking engagements, I easily Hear 120 no's, or you're not the right fit, or you you don't even hear anything back. Which it's about a two to one ratio for every speaking engagement I land, I probably am denied two others. So you have to learn to have that resilience. Uh, I am very similarly wired to you in that the losses, if you will, are a much starker, sharper feeling than the wins, Mm -hmm. and I think that is because. Um, I do have so much confidence and I put so much into my preparation and so much into the unseen hours that I almost expect to win. I almost expect to land that gig. So when it happens, yeah, that was what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. It's when I don't get the gig that I'm somewhat surprised or befuddled on, on why that didn't. And then I know in my own case, and I'm not you know, projecting this onto anyone else, you know, as I've said, had some years of therapy and realized that, you know, I I have some baggage from my past and from my childhood and some things that have, you know, made me feel not good enough or made me feel not worthy, things that I've questioned myself on. And I think that when I hear these no's or I get these rejections, they're a trigger for some of those deeper issues that I'm still working on and will be working on for the rest of my life. I think that's why it's such a sharp loss is because i'm thinking you know well for temporarily may, maybe i'm not good enough you know yeah maybe they show someone that's a better speaker than i am and that's that's what i have to work through every single time and 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 here's what i say with the huge smile i do believe that these challenging times these these losses if you will these rejections are nothing more than repetitions to practice exactly what it is that i'm talking to you about now you know every time i hear a no It's an opportunity for me to practice facing some of these issues and some of this baggage that I'm dragging from the past. So it ends up being a win. It allows me another repetition to take a step forward and get better at detaching from outcomes, at being resilient, and and being able to move forward with self-confidence and self-belief. So um, this ratio of every speaking engagement I get, I probably get two no's, is actually a very healthy one. Um, Mm -hmm. Because every time I get one of those no's, it allows me to strengthen and move forward. And, you know, I've always been a believer in the power of repetition. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to get good at anything, you know, whether it's shooting free throws, playing the piano, or moving forward after being told no, the best way to improve any skill uh, is, is through repetition. So I'm thankful that I have these opportunities to practice the very things that I haven't always been good at.
4: The, the term overnight success is so silly. It, 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 it's the silliest thing in the world. As if somebody really got up in the very first time they ever sang at some karaoke bar. They've never sung before, never practiced, never took a music lesson, never had a vocal lesson. And they get up at a karaoke bar and they sing, you know, some journey song. And all of a sudden, they're, 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 they become a, somebody in the audience is a manager, and, and they get signed to a record deal. It doesn't happen that way. it might look like that, and the story might sound like that. But the truth is, even behind that moment were hours of deliberate practice, of practicing that song, of practicing their vocal exercises, etc. it takes time, time to develop expertise, to build a strong foundation, and to also overcome obstacles along the way. The, the process also, of striving for success in and of itself is where the valuable lessons and where you gain the necessary experience to become masters of your craft that's where that lives. You know if you think about it, the journey the journey is where we learn, where we grow, where we discover our true potential, maybe even in some ways our true selves. And it's also the journey is where you develop resilience. It's where you learn from failures and how you cultivate skills, if you will, that are necessary for you to excel. It's the journey. It's it's actually going through the process. And I'll talk a little bit about the idea of failure, but often the most fulfilling part, if you will, of a journey is the personal growth you experience. So even just striving, that journey of trying to become a master of your craft, whatever it is. You want to be the best leader in your company. You want to be the best consultant. You want to be the best nurse. You want to be the best teacher that you can be. That journey is where you experience some of the greatest joy, uh, the growth along that way, rather than just the end result. I don't know if that makes sense, but maybe to a lot of people, We look at everything like the the Super Bowl. Whoever wins the Super Bowl, they're they're the champion. Whoever wins the heavyweight title, they're they're the best. And I get it, you know, I'm not talking about participation trophies here. But man, if you're a fighter in in a heavyweight championship fight, you know, if it's back in the day, you know, Ali and Foreman, let's say, or whoever you want to think about, whoever's your your era of boxer, if you're in that ring, you got you earned that place. And and that journey, you became somebody. You, you, you grew into somebody. So let's not underestimate the power in your journey to become masterful at something in what you learn along the way. Um, I would say are five actionable ways to maybe excel in your chosen field. And and I'm going to support this with a little bit of maybe some research, if you will, or maybe some more quotes than research. So one of the first ways that I think you achieve mastery is to cultivate A growth mindset. Carol Dweck, a renowned psychologist, said, Becoming is better than being. Becoming is better than being. So, in other words, embracing a belief that your abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. You know, research does support the idea that people that have a growth mindset are more likely to persevere overcome obstacles, and achieve mastery in their field. The second, I would say, is what we just talked about, that idea of deliberate practice, as I mentioned earlier. Anders Erickson, a psychologist, and those of you that have ever taken like Psy 101 in college have probably heard, heard about him. He's considered an expert on expertise. That is a good – like if you're going to be an expert in something, be an expert on expertise, right? I mean, for sure. Here's his quote, the right sort of practice carried out over a sufficient period of time leads to improvement. Nothing else. Listen to that again. The right sort of practice carried out over a sufficient period of time leads to improvement. Nothing else. This is the expert on expertise. So that deliberate practice that we spoke about, that's about setting specific goals. I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to sell this much. I'm going to save this much. I'm going to lose this much weight. I'm going to gain this much weight. I'm going to bench press this much. I'm going to shorten my mile from a 17-minute mile to a 14-minute mile. Receiving feedback. Talking to the people around you and saying, how do you think I did? practicing that speech that you want to give in front of somebody you know give me some feedback what could i have done better was that funny did you understand that story what did you think of that quote if if you're trying to get better at at i don't know you know a, a sport having somebody watch you or videotaping did I just say videotaping? I just, I just gave my age away. You can always tell when someone my age is talking about recording because we say videotaping. Nothing is on videotape anymore. I realize that. Recording, okay? Recording yourself doing something. Let's say just casually you want to be a better golfer. I've never really played golf in my life, but I would assume that there's a lot to the swing, how you hold the club, how you position. I would imagine recording yourself with your swing and then maybe showing it to someone, a coach or or a golf pro or somebody that can kind of work with you or meeting with them in person. Also pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone. You know, improving specific aspects of any craft, of doing anything is always about consistently challenging yourself, making sure that you're pushing yourself just to the point where it's a little bit uncomfortable. My my 14-year-old son and I were in the gym yesterday and we were doing back and biceps and I showed him this exercise exercise. Many of you who work out or go to the gym might know about this exercise called 21s. It's a bicep exercise. And, and those of you that I, we don't really post a lot of this on YouTube, but we do but it. You can't see me, but I would show you if I could picture holding a barbell and it's 21. So it's three sevens, rep, three repetitions of seven. The first repetition is going from a down position to mid to like midway. So let's just say from your waist to your hips, you do seven. Then the next seven are from your chest up to like your chin area, right? So now you're midway up, you do seven. And then the last seven is from the bottom all the way up. So full range of motion, seven. Right now, I will flex for you. There I am. Right now, my biceps that actually hurt. My biceps are so sore. I pushed myself out of my comfort. We normally do a few different exercises. But this pushing out of your comfort is what leads to growth. It's what leads to mastery. So let's say I'll I'll go back to speaking because it's something that I know about and a lot of people stress out about. Let's say you're comfortable speaking in front of a few people, but outside of your comfort zone would be speaking to 20 or more people. So maybe you volunteer at at your church or your synagogue or your your temple or your mosque where you're going to do a presentation or a community center where you're going to do a presentation in front of 30 or 40 strangers. And this pushes you out of your comfort level. You do that enough, then you start to grow. I would say the third way after that, so we, we have the first two. So we have the growth mindset. We've got deliberate practice. I would say the third way is embracing failure. Here's a quote for you. Thomas J. Watson Sr., the founder of IBM. I wonder how Thomas J. Watson Sr. feels about IBM. IBM, that's a, that was a gigantic company. Still is, I guess. If you want to increase your success rate double your failure rate. I got to tell you, when I saw that quote, it made me uncomfortable because I don't like to fail. I, I, I dread failure. That stresses me out. That speaks to all the voices inside of our heads from the time you were a child where if you had a critical parent or a, a difficult teacher or a, or a coach that was not kind to you or whatever, that, that idea of failure for most of us is counterintuitive to success. But listen to this quote again. If you want to increase your success rate, Double your failure rate. Research shows that failure is an essential part of the learning process. You learn from when you fail. You can't let setbacks discourage you. View them as sort of opportunities to learn, uh, adjust your approach. And then ultimately, when you do that, you improve your craft. I would say the fourth, once you've got that fear of failure and you think about that and you just kind of push yourself into that, the fourth is going to be so obvious. That you maybe you might even roll your eyes, but this is what I've studied and what I believe in. It's a strong work ethic. I' funny because I always joke around with John and Matt about how I'm not really that into sports. I'm not a big sports person, but I've got to tell you that I, I've learned over the years that that sports are, is a great way to kind of encapsulate, you know, success and striving and pushing yourself. And I always, you know, I think about the quotes I've heard from Kobe Bryant, may, may he rest in peace, seemed like just a beautiful soul. And Kobe Bryant always talked about staying later than everybody else and, and practicing his shots over and over and coming in earlier than everybody else. And I've got to say that the people that I've seen become truly successful, they didn't look into it. They didn't just, you know, just their nat- – I've seen people with natural talent fail. You have too. You've seen people, and it's it's a sad thing when you see someone in your own family or in your world that they've been gifted with this amazing natural talent. I don't know, whatever you want it to be. They're naturally gifted at being funny or talking to people or connecting with people or math or whatever it is, right? And they just don't put in the work. They just don't put in the effort. They don't. They don't put in those steps. They don't do it. The reps, if you will, you know. And you think about like a workout. It's putting in the reps. When I just told you about the twenty ones, I did three sets of that. I, I could barely move my arms <laughs> today, and and it was putting in the reps. But I know conceptually that that work ethic over a period of time is what helps you to grow. Speaking of sports, Vince Lombardi, legendary football coach, the price of success, he said is hard work, dedication to the job at hand, and the determination that whether we win or lose, we have applied the best of ourselves to the task at hand. Whether we win or lose. This is a coach. He wants to win. But he also understands that whether we win or lose, whatever you define win or lose by, because let's say you want to become a good speaker, and you define winning by just preparing a speech, doing it without falling over, and getting off the stage and a couple of people clap. Maybe that's winning for you. Maybe winning for you after you've been doing this for a while is scoring a perfect 9 or 10 or whatever. Maybe winning for you is getting a standing ovation or maybe winning for you is having people come up to you after your talk and saying that really changed me. That that impacted me. You changed my life. That that's how I honestly that's how I judge myself with what I do. I judge myself by how did I serve? What was the impact that I had on people? You can't go by feedback alone. I mean feedback's super important, but rarely does somebody walk up to you when you speak, for example, and go, wow, you did a terrible job. That was the worst speech I've ever, ever heard. Like that could happen. But normally people are pretty polite. You run into them as you walk down the hall. Great job. Nice speech. You can't walk out there going, I was the best in the world just based on that. But when somebody comes up to you and says, I just want you to know that story really impacted me. It reminds me of my own journey and it really got me to think, or when you were talking about gratitude, I realized I have to be more grateful. Whether you win or lose, it's it's sometimes it's just about impact. Research will consistently show you that you know the obvious hard work, persistence are are key factors, right? The the, the ten thousand steps, the the ten thousand hours, the ten thousand reps, putting in those necessary hours, staying committed, and consistently showing up, just showing up, right? I I said to my son, he was a little tired today; his legs are sore from a leg workout, and he said, "I I just don't feel like I did as you know, as well as I normally do. I I said, Hey bro, with the exception of getting injured, a bad day in the gym is better than no day in the gym. You know, a workout where maybe it wasn't your best workout. I mean, with the exception of being hurt or injuring yourself, I said, you're already doing better than a large percentage of the world who did zero exercise today. So kind of letting yourself feel that worthiness if you will, I guess that's okay to say. And, and you get some feeling of worthiness by just putting in the hours, by showing up. If you showed up, that's you get points for that. I'm not big on participation trophies, but man, even when you're struggling, you're having a tough time. You're like, I showed up, I put in my hours, I did the best with what I had. It's kind of giving yourself that peace. And I, I would say the fifth is really about how, who you surround yourself with. I don't know if you have ever li- listened to Jim Rohn, Jim Rohn R O H N. Probably one of the most unique motivational business speakers. A lot of people base their stuff on Jim Rohn, base their con- I mean honestly Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins who's, you know, a gazillionaire and has spoken in front of hundreds of thousands of millions of people probably at this point. He he credits Jim Rohn with a lot of his beginning stuff. I love this Particular quote from Jim Rohn You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Listen, if you're a parent and you've got a kid, well, yeah, I guess if you're a parent, you have a kid, right? <laughs> you know, you're a parent, you've got kids, share that with them. Let them know that. That's something that's been very powerful, a very powerful conversation I've had with my 14 year old son. We've been talking a lot about that. And he's really been very vigilant about who he is spending most of his time with. And and I've noticed a change in him. And I've noticed that he said to me, Dad, this quote's really changed me. Research indicates that the people we surround ourselves with will definitely impact our success and maybe even more important, our mindset.
0: Man, that was good stuff. I really hope you enjoyed listening to these conversations as much as I did. Our milestone episode number 100 is up next and I cannot wait to see you there. Our listeners are the driving force and the motivation behind why we continue to record these episodes and film content for you. So cheers to you. We'll see you next week.